Am I good? I got a thumbs up. Means I'm good. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jay, for playing. What a blessing that is. Um, as I was sitting there, there was a, <laughs> the chorus jumped out, said, uh, as he looked my way. What about that? So, same thing that Pastor Daniel was preaching about. He tipped his hat towards us. I don't think we can get a hold of that. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think we, can, we can understand it. That God who created the universe would care enough about us to pay attention to us with 8 billion people on the planet that he can make it individual, make it a personal thing, and loves us, cares for us. What a blessing. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bible, if you'll turn to the book of Esther, chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 6 through 17. If you go to the book of Job and hang a left, you'll run into Esther. So we're going to read verses 6 through 17 in chapter 4. And we'll see what God has for us in these verses. Talking about faithfulness. Talk about faithfulness. Amen. Amen. So Esther chapter 4, verses 6 through 17 is what I'll read. Uh, We'll jump around in the book of Esther. It's not a long book. It's only 10 chapters. Uh, So not a lot of turning. So it'll be okay. (laughs) So let's read verses 6 through 17 in chapter 4. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. Um, Hatak here is the, is the servant of Esther, and he is the messenger that's going back and forth between Esther and Mordecai here. And they're basically communicating with each other through this man, uh, Hatak. And so this is what he said in verse 7, uh, Mordecai said. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. And we'll understand this more in a minute. We'll get some background to that. Also, verse 8, also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai, Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. Verse 12, And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. This word enlargement here means relief. So, uh, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement or relief and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. 
And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Verse 15. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Amen. And so what we're looking at here, um, I'm sure that that most of you have read the book of Esther or at least know the story of Esther. Uh, This portion of scripture that we we just read is really the pivotal moment uh, in this story where Esther listens to the guidance of Mordecai and then risks her life to intercede for her people. Esther is, of course, the main character throughout this story and shows amazing, amazing faith, especially uh, in the verses that we just read. Uh, but the other person I just mentioned, which is Mordecai, he is equally as important in this story and maybe even more so. So I'm not taking anything from how crucial it is for Esther to respond in faith uh, in this critical moment for her people. But Esther would have never had this opportunity that she's been given if not for the faithfulness of Mordecai. So that is what I want to look at today, uh, Mordecai's moment of faithfulness. Uh, Mordecai's moments of faithfulness. Uh, Brother William, if you'll pray for us one more time, sir. Thank you for for what you're doing. So good. Amen. Thank you, Brother William. And thank you for praying, church. Appreciate you. (laughs) Okay, so there are two things that remain constant throughout the book of Esther. One of them is Mordecai's faithfulness, which is what I'll be teaching on. And the other is God's providence. We see it throughout the book of Esther. uh, But most of you have probably heard this before, but the name of God is not actually mentioned at all in the book of Esther. And even though that is true, God's providential hand could not be more evident throughout the book. Uh, Before we talk more about God's providence, let me share the background of this story to help us understand uh, the context. So we started reading in uh, Esther chapter 4. If you'll turn over real quick to Esther chapter 1, I'll give you some background context. So in chapter 1 of Esther, we are introduced uh, to Ahasuerus, the king of Persia. He is also known in world history by the name Xerxes. Uh, So that is the Hebrew name given to him, but Ahasuerus is what he's known by in Scripture. 
So uh, he was the king of Persia from 486 to 465 B.C. And during this time, the Jews had already been carried away into captivity by the Babylonians. And then the, Bab- the Persian Empire had defeated and taken over the Babylonian Empire. So that's where we are during this story. This means that the Jews were scattered throughout the Persian Empire and throughout the known world at the time. Nearly all the story of Esther takes place in the palace of the city. And that palace is known as Shushan. Uh, it's the citadel there, the, the capital of it. So we see this name mentioned many times throughout, uh, throughout the chapter. Uh, they are in Sh- uh, Shushan, the palace. That's where the story takes place. Also in chapter 1, we see where the king's wife, her name was Queen Vashti. She refused a direct order from the king. And then the king and his advisors decided to replace the queen with a fair maiden within the kingdom. So the king decreed something for, not really decreed it, but he, he told her to do something through uh, one of the chambermen. And they and she refused to do it. And so uh, they are now conspiring what to do with her because she disobeyed a direct order. Uh, you got all these men conspiring together trying to fix the situation, which not, is not a good thing. But it's how the world was then. Kings had all power to do what they wanted to do. So this was what they decided. They're going to replace her with uh, a young maiden. Um, and that, uh, Esther is one of the maidens that gets taken to the palace. So that brings us to chapter 2 where we meet Mordecai and see his first moment of faithfulness. And that first moment for him, he is faithful to his family. He's faithful to his family. Um, this is in Esther chapter 2 verse 5. Uh, If you flip over there, this is where uh, Mordecai is mentioned for the first time. It says, Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Verse 6 tells us that he was carried away into Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem into captivity by the Babylons. And then verse 7 is where I want to park for a second. Uh, In verse 7 we see that Mordecai raises Esther as his own daughter. Uh, Verse 7 says, And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther's name, her Hebrew name, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So we see here, this Mordecai and Esther are cousins. Uh, He must be a lot older than she is. Uh, Her father and mother die. It doesn't say how. But once they're, uh, once they're gone, he steps in and is a father figure for Esther. Uh, so it doesn't mention anything about Mordecai having a family of his own either. Uh, but regardless of that, either way, it was a sacrifice he was willing to make to take care of his orphan cousin. Uh, this shows his love and compassion for his family and for others in need. We are, to, we are supposed to show this same type of love and compassion to our family and our church family. So uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we should have this same compassion and same love when we see our brothers and our sisters in need, just like uh, Mordecai had. Uh, We also see in verse 11 that Mordecai checked on her well-being every day while she was at the palace. So uh, in chapter 2 here, we see that... uh, the king is putting away Vashti, and he's going to bring a, a fair maiden. He brings all the, fair, the maidens, the beautiful uh, young ladies, to his castle. And there he is going to pick one of them to be the new queen. And so we see here uh, in verse 11, as Esther is at the castle, or at the, uh, in Shushan, at the capital, 
uh, verse 11, it says, And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. So he was invested. He was invested in her life. He loved her. He cared for her. Um, you know what he was probably doing on the way there and on the way back? He was praying for her. And he was lifting her up to God in prayer that God would take care of her. Uh, we know from this story that Mordecai was a man of faith. Uh, he trusted God and knew that God was sovereign, but he didn't know exactly what God's plan was. But even though he didn't know what God's plan was, he believed that God was in control and that God was going to take care of her. Even knowing that, he stayed faithful to checking on her every day. So he, I don't know what his job was at the Capitol. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But he made a point to go check on Esther every day. Every day was checking to see how, how she was, what was going on. If anything had changed, he was there for her. He was in her corner. And we should be that way for our brothers and sisters in Christ and with our family. We should be that example. Be that person that's reliable and dependable and faithful to them. Uh, so we should do the same thing with our loved ones. Not necessarily uh, check on them every day. That would be quite annoying sometimes. <laughs> but sometimes it's necessary to check in. Uh, but the main thing is always mentioning them in prayer, lifting them up to God in prayer, believing on them and are believing on him to take care of them and trust him with their life. Uh, trusting God that he is in control and pray that his will be done in their lives to bring him the most glory. Um, so we see here that he's faithful to his family. He's faithful to Esther. Uh, in verse 17 of this chapter, that's chapter 2. We see where Esther finds favor with the king. So earlier I talked about God's providence throughout the story. Uh, and we just look at Esther's life, where God had brought her from. She was an orphan girl. She lived with uh, Mordecai, her cousin, to take care of her. And then she got promoted or got taken to the, to the king's palace. And now she's in the running to be the queen of the land. So we see God's providence through that. And even further than that, Verse 17, it says the king, as soon as he saw her, he had favor on her. Okay? Uh, and we know that this by, is by the providence of God. Um, Pastor Daniel says this verse all the time. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So we know that God is trustworthy and that he's sovereign, that he has all power to do what he wants to do. So we believe him in this. Uh, in verses 17 and 18, Esther is made queen instead of Vashti. And at the end of chapter 2, we see the next moment where Mordecai shows his faithfulness. And that's the faithfulness. He's faithful to his position. He's faithful to his position. Uh, we're going to look at verse 19 of chapter 2. In these verses, we find Mordecai sitting at the king's gate within the palace. Uh, this is a position of significance and importance. Uh, the scripture does not tell us why he was here, but we can imagine that it probably has something to do with Esther being the queen and promoting him in some way. Uh, in my Bible, in the notes section here, it says, Mordecai sitting in the king's gate may indicate that when Esther became queen, she had him appointed as a uh, magistrate or a judge. He is now in the position to overhear what is being said by palace officials and to have access to the royal court's um, he is found sitting at the king's gate on a regular basis. And I think that's important. So whatever this position that he was in, he was faithful to that position. He was always there, reliable, dependable. God has placed Mordecai at the right place at the right time. So we want to read verses 21 and 23 of chapter 2. 
verse 21 says, In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and, Big and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hands on, on the king, on King Ahasuerus. So we see that Mordecai is doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's in the king's court. Um, it's called the king's gate. It's basically the inner workings of the castle. Uh, you have to have special permission to be in there. Only trusted people are in there. So Mordecai is a trusted person and is within the king's household, has access to that area. Uh, so while he's sitting there doing what he's supposed to be doing, he, he catches these two people conspiring against, against the king. Verse 22, And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. Verse 23, this is an important verse. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out, therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the chronicles before the king. So that the last phrase there, very, very important. So I'm sure there are many times in our lives where God puts us in positions and situations for a specific reason, even if we don't know what they are or why that's happening. Um, at the time, we may not know why, but God always has a reason for what he does, and we have to trust him for that and trust him in that and putting us there. Uh, so here's the question. Why is this portion of Scripture important in the story? Uh, in the immediate sense, Mordecai saved the life of the king, king and by extension, Esther the queen, by where he was in the right place, right time, doing what God told him to do and had him set to do. He saved uh, the king and saved the queen. But God does not just see the short term, though. Um, if you want to turn over real quick, let's look at chapter 6. We'll look at the first verses in chapter six, uh, 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Chapter 6, 1 through 3. And we're jumping ahead a little bit in the story, but this is very important. Um, on that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before him. So this is a little bit farther ahead in the story. Uh, this is, at this time, the decree was, has already been made by uh, Haman, who we'll talk about in a minute. But the decree has already been made that the Jews are going to be killed. Uh, the enemies of the Jews can rise up and fight against them. So... That's already been made at this point. <laughs> Here, after this is all going on, the king can't sleep. So instead of, I don't know, getting up and drinking some water or doing other things, he has the book, the record of the Chronicles read before him. Okay? That's a very strange thing, but it goes to show you that God is sovereign and God is in control. Amen. Verse 2, And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bithana and Teresh two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door who sought to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. So I don't know how much longer this is after the events of Mordecai catching these two people and then being hanged, but it's, it's sometime afterwards. And the king finds out through one night when he, woke, he couldn't sleep, had the, this book read to him of the record, and then God, God just prom promoted it right there. It happened. And so uh, here we see God's providence again. Our God is faithful and trustworthy. God wants us to trust Him and be faithful to, faithful to what we are supposed to do. We should strive to be faithful in the work that God has called us to do. Not everyone has the same calling, but if you are here, then God 
has you here for a purpose. And uh, Sunday, Pastor Daniel asked this question. He said, why are, why are we here? So, I mean, that that's, that's really is the question. What are we doing here? Each of us, each family, each person, what are we doing here? God put us here. That's the answer. He's put us here. But it's not just to take, uh, take a place on a pew. He's put us here for a reason. Let's not take the opportunity God has given us for granted. Let's stay faithful for what He has called us to do. Uh, so, not only was Mordecai faithful to his family and to his position, he was most faithful to God. Uh, in chapter 3, so flip back over to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we are introduced to Haman. Haman uh, is the villain in this story, and as Pastor Daniel mentioned recently, Haman is a type of the Antichrist and behaves just like the devil. Uh, thoughts are wicked, actions are wicked. Uh, you'll see further that, more of that in just a second. Um, but after the king promotes Haman, this is in verses uh, 1 and 2, Haman is all puffed up with pride and arrogance. He sees himself superior to everyone but the king and the queen and expects everyone else to bow to him. And that is literally as he was walking out of the palace, anyone that was near him or seen him was supposed to bow to him and reverence him. Everyone does that except for one person. So let's find out who in verse number 2. Chapter 3 verse 2 says, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Um, So what I want to point out here in verse 2, it said bowed and reverenced in verse 2 there. Bowed and reverenced Haman. This word reverence literally means paid homage to. So this is a Persian custom Whenever they bowed to someone in the Persian society, it means they were bowing to them as a superior being, as a god. So Mordecai, being a Jew, he did not do this. And his his laws forbid him from doing this, so he didn't. So we see at the end of verse 2, But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. So he's not going to worship this man as a god. Verse 3 says, Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Uh, That word matters there just means words. If Mordecai's words would stand. So this is a daily thing. This is happening for days and weeks at a time where Haman is coming out of the king's uh, palace and everyone's bowing except for one man. And then everybody's like, hey, why are you not bowing to this man? We're supposed to bow. It's, it's the law now. And so uh, Mordecai says, I'm not bowing. <laughs> I'm not bowing. My, my God doesn't let me bow to other men as gods. I'm not bowing to this man. And so that's uh, where we ended in verse 4. Verse 5 says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. So this man, puffed up in pride, lifts himself up, higher than everybody else, I'm better than everybody else, but this man won't bow to me. And made him so mad but that instead of doing harm to Mordecai, he tries to wipe out the entire Jewish race. That's how mad he was. So verse 6, And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him that the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. 
So we see that his hatred was so, he was so angry towards him that he wasn't just trying to get back at him. He was going to wipe out the entire Jewish race because he would not bow to him. Okay. Uh, so that takes us to, where was I? Somewhere in here. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, he put his faith in God above what this world wanted him to do. So the world, the king of the time, wanted him to bow, but he put God first and did not bow. Uh, so we should strive to do the same in our life. Uh, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So instead of worrying about this, what this world wants us to do, we focus on putting God first and keeping him priority in our lives, just like Mordecai did as the example here. He wasn't going to bow and do what the world wanted him to do. He was going to put God first and believe God and trust in him to take care of him. So lastly, Mordecai was faithful during times of trouble or during tribulation. So faithful during tribulation. Verses 7 through 15 in chapter 3 tell us about the plot from Haman to kill all of the Jews. And, of course, we know where that, that comes from. That comes from Satan. That comes from the devil trying to wipe out the Jewish race and uh, eliminate the chances of having a Messiah. That's what he wanted to do. And he's using human instruments to do that. In this case, it's Haman. Uh, so listen how sly uh, Haman is when addressing the king. And this is in verse 8. Verse 8 says, And Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them, which means to let them live. So Haman here, talking to the king, says, uh, there's a people in your land that don't do what you tell them to do. Okay? Uh, not, that's not the whole truth. Uh, the, the Jewish people were following all the rules that they were supposed to do, uh, were kind people, were righteous, most of them, or, you know, righteous enough compared to the, the other people that lived around them. So it's not that they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. It's that they weren't bowing the knee to, to Haman and to the king uh, in this sense. So uh, this leads us to chapter 4 where Mordecai and Esther are communicating back and forth through her servant. So what I want to look at now, at this point, Haman uh, has convinced the king into signing a decree that says the enemies of the Jews can take out the Jews. And he sets a date for it. He actually sets the date by rolling dice or something. And when he rolls the dice, it lands on something, and that was the date he set as when the Jews were going to be destroyed. So that's at the end of chapter 3. And when we get to chapter 4, I want us to look at what kind of state... Uh, Mordecai was in. So we're going to read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 4. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes, which means to tear them, and put on sackcloth with ashes, and went out into the midst of the city, and cried with a loud and a bitter cry, and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So when we're talking about sackcloth, that's literally like, like a burlap sap turned into a, an outfit of some sort. 
and it's super itchy, super scratchy, very uncomfortable, but it represents how they felt in their souls. They felt miserable. They felt awful. All these people had just been decreed that they were going to be murdered. So Mordecai, he perceived what was going to be done, and he rent his clothes, put on the sackcloth, put on the ashes to show, to show the state of his soul. Now, <laughs> I don't think the circumstances could be any worse than that. All of the Jews are going to be murdered because Mordecai didn't bow to the second in command. So that's, I would say Mordecai at this point, he's at his lowest point during these verses. So uh, the decree gets passed down. All the Jews are going to be wiped out and it's because of him not bowing the, the knee to Haman. So it's, it's his fault and he knows that and that's why he did this. Uh, so, um, but even at his lowest point, he is still trusting God and staying faithful to him. So we're going to read verse 8 and verse 14 again. When he's talking to Esther and he's communicating through the servant, this is what he says. Verse 8, Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her. Okay, so this man, miserable state, sackcloth and ashes, feeling miserable, what's he do? He charges her that she should go in unto the king and make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. So even in the condition that he's in, he's still believing and trusting God that God's going to make a way. Okay? He's believing that God's going to make a way. How do we know that? Let's read verse 14. Verse 14 says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from, uh, from another place. So, again, that word enlargement means relief. So what is Mordecai saying? He said, Esther, you are in this position to, to do this thing where you can save your people. Even if you don't do that, God is going to save his people through another means. So he believed God and trusted God even in the face of in, insane adversity uh, and tribulation in his life. He's still trusting and believing God. Okay. Um, so Mordecai believed that whether Esther went to the king or whether she remained silent... God was going to take care of his people no matter what. Um, then, the end of this verse, which we've heard many, many times, it says, it says, uh, Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Here's the verse. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So, Mordecai, encouraging, talking to Esther, he's saying, this, this, who knows? This may be the reason you are where you are. So again, that answers the question. If, if, if Esther in her heart or in her mind asked, what am I doing here? How did I get here? That's the answer. God gave her the answer and put her there for a reason. Just like in our lives, he'll put us in places and like he put us in this, in this church. Each person here, you have a reason and a purpose for being here. So we give God glory to that. Um, I did want to read one more verse real quick. It is 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, And that says... 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as, as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. So that just tells us, God is not going to put more on you than you can handle. Uh, and then he says, but God is faithful. So God is faithful. And we are so glad that, that is true. Um, so the last thing I'm going to do and I want to talk about is kind of finish the story and tell you, tell you what happened because of Mordecai's faithfulness. 
What happened? We want to know, right? What happened? Um, number one, Esther interceded for her people. Uh, so because of Mordecai's faithfulness and doing all these things throughout this story, because of his, his faithfulness, uh, Esther was able to have her moment and seize that moment and do what God wanted her to do to save her people. So Esther interceded for her people. Uh, and the thing I want us to think about for this, you never know what effect you will have on others when you stay faithful and they see your faith. So you never know when people see you being faithful and being trustworthy and dependable, and then they see you going to church and doing what you're supposed to do, what kind of effect that can have on them. That we're not just living for ourselves, we're living for others and encourage others. Uh, the next thing, the king, the king remembered and honored Mordecai. Uh, <laughs> and I really love this. In uh, chapter 6, Haman had to put the royal clothes on Mordecai and lead him through the streets on the king's horse. So what happened here, uh, the enemy got embarrassed because Mordecai was faithful. So uh, Haman thought that the king was asking him after, uh, after the king had read from the book and figured out what Mordecai had done and wanted to honor him. Haman comes in and the king says, I want to honor somebody. What did Haman think? It's going to be me. So I, I want the best honor that I could think of. Royal clothes and ride the king's horse through the streets. Well, as soon as he said it, uh, the king's like, okay, go get Mordecai, put these clothes on him, and take him through the streets on my horse, right? So talk about embarrassing. It actually says, uh, <laughs> it says right here in verse 12. I'll read verse 11 too. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Verse 12, And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. So embarrassed, mourning, covering his face, running to his house to cry to his wife and his friends who he had been bragging to. So we see that through Mordecai's faithfulness, his steadfastness, we see that the, uh, the enemy got embarrassed. And that's true, that, that, that's true in our lives too. Satan means things for bad, but God can turn them around and use them for our good and for his glory. And we praise him for that. Uh, the next thing, uh, also, this is in chapter 7. Uh, Haman was hung on the gallows he built for Mordecai. So again, behind the scenes... Uh, Haman is trying to destroy the Jews, but mainly his focus is on Mordecai. So what did he do? He built a specific gallows for Mordecai to be hanged on. Well, once all this transpires and uh, the king finds out Haman's uh, a thief and a liar, Haman gets put on those gallows and is hanged on the gallows that were designed for Mordecai. What happened next? Chapter 8, Mordecai was promoted and set over the house of Haman. <laughs> Everything that Haman was in control of, after he was out of the way, the king promotes Mordecai, and now Mordecai is over everything that uh, Haman had. Uh, also in chapter 8, a new decree was given for the Jews to defend themselves. So the rule was in this time when a king made a decree, he would seal it with his ring, which is like a signet. And as soon as that was signed with that signet, that rule could not be overturned. So the rule, that eventually, the, the rule that they had made previously was still in place, that on that day the Jews were going to die. But he made another decree and sealed it with his signet that the Jews could fight back and that the people of the palace and the king's men would fight with them. So what, what happens? Uh, they destroy their enemies in chapter 9. Uh, 
destroy all of them for the one day and then do the same thing the very next day for anybody else who they, they didn't get the first round. So that's in, uh, in chapter 9. And then uh, the last thing that I'll read here is chapter 10. It's only three verses. But Mordecai, because of his faith, faithfulness, was considered great. He was considered great in the eyes of the Jews and in the eyes of the Persians. So verse 1, And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea, and all the acts of his power and his might, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto king Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed. So that's, that's the end of, uh, end of Mordecai. He was great in the eyes of his people and of the Persian people. Uh, so, last thing that I'll say. Uh, Mordecai took the opportunity and responsibility that God gave him seriously. We should look at the opportunities that, that God gives us with the same type of seriousness. Um, again, I go back to this, but what, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Uh, God put us here for a reason. So we need to, we need to get to whatever that reason is. Uh, be faithful to His church. Be faithful to His cause. Believe in Him. Uh, we have a lot of big prayers that we're asking. We have a lot of people in our families, lost family members. Um, we want God to save them and bring them in. So... We need to stay faithful, just like Mordecai represents in this story. Uh, stay faithful. And I'll read this one more time. Uh, Esther 4.14 For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So we're thankful to God for letting us be here tonight. But more importantly for the opportunity that he lets us have to be part of this church. What a privilege and a blessing that is to be here. Um, but like I said earlier, it's not just to hold down a pew. Uh, God has a purpose for us, and he wants us to continue to stay faithful, uh, trust in him, support, and take care of each other and love each other. That's what he's called us to do. So I know I've been a little bit longer <laughs> than normal, uh, but I do want to open the altar up. Uh, Brother Jay, if you'll play something on the piano. And uh, we'll, we'll close um, with an altar call. If you feel that you need to come pray, you come pray. Um, and then once everybody's done, we will head out. But again, we thank you for being here. Thank you for God being so merciful to us and gracious to us. So as he, as he uh, plays, if you want to come pray, you can. After that, uh, liberty to go.